When, when I was growing up, and I think of the sounds of Christmas, and someone asked me about that, I think of three things. I think of the Island of Misfit Toys. I'm a Charlie in the box. I remember that. I think of Holly Jolly Christmas, that song. And I think of that clip right there. Happy birthday. I was actually reading this article in Psychology Today, because I'm a weirdo. And, I, and when it said, it said this thing, it says, t- close your eyes, take a deep breath, and see if you can remember the first sound that you ever heard. And honestly, for me, I couldn't remember my first sounds. I remember certain things, like uh, getting yelled at for breaking something, but I broke so many things, it was just a common occurrence. I have one of my first memories of dancing with our dog, Blackie, when I was a little kid, and another one with my mom crying, not because of my dancing, but maybe it might be close. I remember my foot getting caught in the spokes of my dad's 10-speed bicycle when I was on the back in a child's seat. My foot got caught in there, but I don't remember specific sounds. I remember my very first smell. I was probably because it was so bad. I was two to three years old. I was at my grandmother's house, and even then, I just hated vegetables. I don't know if you can relate. There's this big meal. All the adults are in one room. All the kids are in another room. You can probably relate to that and how that goes as well. And they gave me these vegetables, you know, all the things you'd feed to animals to make your food, but they gave me those. And so it was like mashed potatoes and carrots and peas. And I drank my milk and I shoveled all that into my milk cup and I put a napkin on top and I said, Grandma, I don't want my milk. And my grandma walked over and she goes, this feels like someone put cement in there. And she pulls the napkin off, smells it, and she goes, oh, eat it. And it smelled horrible. If we, ha- we used to have this thing in Santa Maria called the sugar beet factory. That's what it smelled like, if you know what that was. If not... Just be glad you can't scratch and sniff and Google that. So, Now, this doesn't mean there weren't sounds, right? I'm sure there were lots of them, probably me wailing in pain as I had to eat this cup of death that smelled not much better. I just don't remember them. And the question is why? Well, actually, it's biology. Now, babies, they are sponges for new information. They will form 700 new neural connections every second. And the latest research suggests that they even begin training their minds before they leave their mother's womb. But babies' brains don't function like adult brains. Where our brains will bundle all of these different things together to make memories, babies' brains don't work in the exact same way, not until they're about two to four years of age. If you teach a child to say please and thank you, that is called semantic memory. Semantic memory is a portion of long-term memory that processes ideas and concepts, but it doesn't have to be related to personal experience. And between the ages of two and four, children lack what is called episodic memory. Episodic memory is memory regarding specific details of an event. Now, memory of sound is episodic memory. And uh, Nora Newcomb, a psychologist, actually says this, that new studies are finding that episodic memory may be unnecessarily complex at a time when a child is just learning how the world works. They believe now that the primary goal of those first couple years of a child's life is to acquire semantic knowledge, and episodic memory might actually be a distraction from that. Now, that doesn't help because I am removed many years from two to four years of age, and I can't still remember where I put my keys or the remote for the TV or my dog or my money. I just don't know, right? But from very early childhood, if you don't have memories of certain things, it's okay, because that's biology. Now, for most of us, sound is something that's impossible to imagine the world without. It is probably the first thing you experience when you wake up or the snoring that wakes you up in the middle of the night. Uh, But you know what sound is? Sound is energy. 
It's the sound of energy that things produce when they vibrate, when they move back and forth very quickly. Like Austin bangs a drum or Michelle strums a guitar. You make certain things vibrate at high speed. Air moves and carries that energy out. So eventually the air inside of your ears is also vibrating. And there's a physical aspect of sound, which is that vibrating and energy that goes out. But there's also a psychological process that happens inside of your brain when it hears these different vibrations and interprets those into noises, speech, and hopefully music tonight. Uh, You can reflect a sound wave off something just like light reflects off a mirror. We even call that reflection. And sound waves will then lose energy as they travel. This is why you can only hear things so far and why sound travels less on windy days. And if you want to have a very private conversation, go outside on a windy day and and do it there because it dissipates the energy. All sound waves must travel through a medium to be heard, like water, air, gas, if you're a musician, spring reverb, things like that. And you make those atoms or molecules shake back and forth. Sound waves essentially are the same, but they are a bit different. Uh, If you take a violin and a piano, they can make the same waves with the same amplitude and frequency, but why do they sound so different? Well, any instrument, including a human voice for that matter, produces a whole mixture of different waves at the same time. And so every instrument produces this unique patterns of fundamental frequency and harmonics we call this timbre this is why when you can watch american idol and two people can sing the same song and when you're like that sounds great and when you're like send that one home that's because they have different waves that go through that all these waves add together to give a unique shape to sound waves produced by different instruments now sound will travel about a million times slower than light 760 miles per hour at sea level on a non-windy day when it's between 50 and 60 degrees I know there's a lot of caveats in that. And this is why if you see a lightning storm, you'll see the lightning much sooner than you actually feel it because it takes sound about five seconds to cover a mile where light hits you instantly. And and then when you hear that boom and it kind of shakes you, that is the energy of that wave of that sound when it hits you. And if you technically care, there's actually no such thing as the speed of sound. Sound travels at different speeds depending on your altitude, solids, liquids, gases. Even its speed in one material can change. Like sound will travel about 15 times faster in steel than in air and about four times faster in water than in air. And when scientists first found out how whales and dolphins communicate, that's why they were astounded. Now, sound is hugely important to life on the earth. Many creatures, including us, we will exchange meaningful sounds with one another to communicate or warn off rivals. Scary movies. It's more almost about the soundtrack than anything else. And humans have this spoken language. It's a way to exchange information and music. What music is essentially is a sound-based system for communicating emotion. We also use high-frequency sounds known as ultrasounds. And with ultrasounds, we can clean your teeth or look at the development of a baby in a mother's womb. We have even taught computers to listen to the energy that we produce and interpret that in voice recognition software. Now, I tell you all this because the first Christmas was full of sounds, before, during, and after. And a couple of years ago, I started to ask myself, what were the sounds of that first Christmas? And at Element, in the last few weeks, we've been doing this series called The Songs of Christmas, about all those first songs in the Bible that surround that Christmas narrative. And again, songs are the energy of sound that conveys emotion. Like, we tend to remember things when they are in the form of a catchy song. Like, everybody, go like this, go like this. (laughs) 
We will, we will. Right? You will never going to remember where you put your keys last week, but Queen singing that the rest of your life, you will never forget. It's in the form of a catchy song. And so what we did is we looked at this song on the lips of Jesus' mother Mary. Today we actually call this song The Magnificent. And it centers on what God did in his kindness by giving her the baby Jesus and what he would be. And she sings these words of praise even though she looks like a knocked up teenage girl to everybody else. And when she says, oh, it's God's baby, everybody's like, yeah, I'm sure it is. But she sings this beautiful song of blessing and faithfulness even though her life didn't look that blessed. We talked about this guy named Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptizer. And whether or not you agree with Zechariah's parenting skills of raising his kids on bugs and sugar, he has one of the most amazing songs as well that focuses on the goodness of God and his promises. We talked about the the angels out in the fields uh, singing to the shepherds, watching their flocks by night. Shepherds were the underbelly of that society. No one invited shepherds over to their house. You'd be afraid a shepherd would steal all your goodies and run off. We talked about how in the ancient world, when parents had a new firstborn son, they would herald that if they had any means and money whatsoever. But Mary and Joseph are poor. They don't have any money, but this is God's son. And so God heralds it, and he breaks open the sky, and his angels start to sing. And it's interesting that God does not do this in the palace where the powerful people are. He does not do it in the temple where the religious people are. He doesn't do it in the marketplace where the rich people are. Where does he do it? to these lost and broken people. That's where he heralds it. And it's an amazing thing how God constantly does this. He doesn't do it in like downtown New York City. He does it in a place like Skid Row, a place where if you wanted to herald something, you most certainly wouldn't do it there. And then last week we looked at these words of promise sung by God's prophets centuries before the birth of Jesus, promising who Jesus would be and what he would do to save us from running away from God. And it seems, according to the Bible, that everything, all the sounds, all the songs are pointing to this birth of Jesus, God in the flesh, what we celebrate at Christmas. And when I say everything, I mean literally everything everything. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech and night after night, they reveal knowledge. So what are the stars proclaiming? Apparently the glory of God. Well, what is that? Hebrews 1, 3, and he, that's Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. So apparently stars make sounds. They're pouring out speech, but we can't hear them because sound doesn't travel in a vacuum. But we have technology today, and we can now look at stars, and we can look at the waves that they produce and hear what they sound like. Like uh, this right here, uh, this this is the sound of Polaris. Like the Sea-Doo, this is Polaris. Now this one... It's called A crux A and A crux A A because it's a binary star system and they're very creative with their names. But anyway, this is what it sounds like. And this is where two stars will actually rotate around each other. Now this next one is called Beetlejuice, like the movie. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. This is what it sounds like. This one, it's my favorite. It's very soothing. It's called Sirius B. This is what Sirius B sounds like. Sirius B is a white dwarf, actually, so it's a little different than all the other stars that we let you hear. 
Now, what is interesting about the story is that a wise man lead, uh, a star leads these wise men to the infant Jesus, not, not the baby. Okay, so when you see those things of the wise men at the, at the birth, they weren't really there. That was later. But at the first Christmas, there were still all these sounds. There was sounds heard and unheard, angels, stars, the universe on a grand scale. But then there is also the smaller scale. Mary giving birth, the baby most likely crying, like that Christmas song has got to be wrong, away in the manger, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I have never seen a non-crying baby. That's why we watch your kids for you before you come in here, but then we give you bells so it kind of negates that, but whatever. Yeah. But there's something else I want you to think about in this, and that talking about sound, and what that is is Joseph's silence. And I don't mean that Joseph never spoke. But in the Bible, we don't have one recorded word of Jesus' adopted father, Joseph. He is completely silent. And when I thought about that, it kind of stunned me into silence, which is hard to do if you know me. I I think Joseph was probably one of the first followers of Jesus. God tells him these words that what is conceived in Mary is Jesus, and it's from him. And Joseph, with the small, silent bits in the scriptures where you see his actions, he trusts and he follows God. But it's a process. He doesn't start there. Matthew 1.18 of the story goes like this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So it's telling you, this is unusual. It's not normal. This isn't how it normally happens. He's aware of that. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he doesn't know where the baby actually came from. He just knows it's not his. Betrothal was this Jewish custom. It was called Kedushin. And a young man and his fiance would get legally married, but they had to wait a year before they could live and sleep together. I know it sounds dumb today, but one of the reasons was to make sure that the girl was pure because in those days, marriages were arranged, which is also a, reason, a good reason that you didn't live back then because have you seen your parents' fashion choices? Can you imagine the spouse they'd pick for you? Okay. A year of waiting was required to make sure that the woman wasn't prepregnated, or however you want to say it, right? After a year, it was clear. Then you could live and you could sleep together. But in every other way, during that betrothal, you were married. And in order to get unmarried, you actually had to get an official divorce. And during that betrothal period, Mary shows up prepregnated. Now, can you imagine the sound of those words to Mary's family? to Joseph's family, or how humiliating that is for Joseph himself. The girl you just married but haven't been allowed to sleep with is pregnant, and what's her excuse? God did it. And does Joseph respond with, oh, right, God got you pregnant. Did he also give you a rainbow unicorn that poops ice cream cones too? Right? But no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't. Instead, he arranges to break the betrothal quietly in silence. Joseph is a good dude. He doesn't want to hurt her the same way he probably thinks she has just hurt him. Matthew 1 verse 20 goes on, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. She'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until, and that word until is very important because he did eventually get to sleep with his wife. He wasn't punished his entire life. Until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I asked you a couple weeks ago if you've ever wondered why God did it this way. 
because it ruined both their reputations. The angel doesn't show up and tells the whole situation to the entire town just to Mary and Joseph. There is no news bulletin. And it seems like Joseph, God is silent to everyone else. And everyone else from that point on thought Mary is the impure girl and Joseph is the stoic, clueless guy who married her. Other classmates probably looked back through the yearbook and went, oh yeah, remember what happened to her? Such a shame. Many people probably thought that because Joseph married her, he was saying, yeah, the baby's actually mine. This pregnancy ruined both of their reputations in the community. Mary didn't get the storybook wedding she probably always dreamed about with her dad walking her down the aisle and all her friends and family present. And Joseph walks through all of this in the Bible with the sound of silence, without a single word written in his voice. And that is compelling to me on so many levels because Joseph is someone who has absolute trust in who God is and who this baby would be. And all the voices and all the sounds around him, he sets aside and he believes the impossible and risks everything on it. And you don't live that way when Jesus is your preference or your co-pilot. You live that way when, Je- when you believe Jesus is who he said he is. Joseph doesn't complain. As soon as he knows God's direction, he goes. One writer says it like this, following Jesus, really following him, not just playing religious games, but absolute trust in the unseen God. We have all this talk today about how God chose Mary and how great it was. I think God chose Joseph too, because almost no one would have been able to endure what he did for the sake of the good news of the coming person of Jesus. Joseph denied himself everything in our culture that our world today says is your right, your fulfillment, your happiness. He didn't know Mary in the biblical sense, right, until after the birth of Jesus. And that's significant because we don't even have Christmas the way we do without Joseph. Christmas is more than just about the presents. I mean, the presents are nice, but in reality, it's that if we're going to follow Jesus, it means we do things his way. Even at times, it means denying ourselves some things we might otherwise have. And that goes to Christmas. And it brings a willingness to embrace those around us who we may not want to embrace. Where we love people, we may not want to love and forgive and offer hope to those who maybe aren't your best friend in the world. Again, do you realize how much Jesus' birth complicated Joseph's life? Messed up his relationship with his family, his friends, his job. Eventually, they have to move to another city because truly following Jesus is rarely convenient. And this isn't to guilt you in any way, maybe a little, I don't know, uh, but we have lots of little kids around Element. If you've ever been around, you're going to trip over one at some point, and you have to par- apologize to a parent and, and all that. But a lot of parents uh, don't volunteer in our children's ministry because it's inconvenient, right? Believe me, we get it. We, we understand. But can you imagine talking to Mary and Joseph one day in heaven and being like, yeah, my church had the audacity to ask me to serve like once a month, ugh. And Joseph would be like, oh, yeah, I hear you. I, hear you. I had to raise God's child. It wasn't even mine. Eventually, I had to flee my country and my town because of him. But tell me your story because it sounds hard. <laughs> I asked the staff, is that too much for Christmas Eve? And they said, no, do it. <laughs> All right. So Joseph is a guy who lives in the hard places because he trusted God and his promises. Now, I'm not trying to bring you a bummer of a Christmas Eve message, okay? So let's perk up a bit, because this is where the rubber meets the road or the sound meets the wave, so to speak. Where does Joseph get all of this silent strength from? Because you don't see in the Bible Joseph have this big moment of surrender, all emotional. What Joseph gets to see is the same thing we all get to see, and that's the faithful promises of God. What the angel says is, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Behold, it's a very strong sound in Greek. It's like, hey, look at this. 
Look at this. That's what it's supposed to be. Because when you see this, you're going to have the strength to do what God is asking you to do. So what does he tell Joseph to look at? God's kept promises. Matthew 1.23 is a quote from a prophecy given in Isaiah 7.14. It's originally given to this guy named King Ahaz in Judah 700 years before Jesus was born. The Syrian army, it is coming in, it's getting ready to attack, and this kingdom looks like it's going to be destroyed. And word comes to the prophet Isaiah that God is not going to allow his kingdom to be destroyed because God made a promise to Abraham. So Isaiah shows up and tells Ahaz that God is going to give him a sign, a sign. And Ahaz is like, well, I don't want a sign. God gives me a sign, I'm going to have to listen and do what he says. And so I don't want a sign. Isaiah says, well, you don't get to make the rules. Here's your sign. It's kind of funny, right? So behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is God's going to accomplish his purposes whether you want him to or not. Now, the word virgin in Hebrew, it can be translated two different ways. It can mean a girl who's never had sex, or it could just mean a girl of marriageable age. In this context, everybody would have just assumed it meant a girl of marriageable age. And they would have been like, a young woman's going to conceive. Big deal. Young women conceive all the time. That's like saying seagulls will be loud, and cats will be annoying, and dogs will bark. You know, it's, and it happened. Someone in Ahaz's household had a baby, and that was a sign. Didn't seem that impressive. For 700 years, it didn't seem that impressive. And this prophecy becomes this little overlooked mystery in the Old Testament. It seems so out of place until you get to Joseph. And then God says through the angel, this is what I was talking about. It's not just that a young woman's going to conceive, but a virgin. The other meaning of the the word, a girl who has never been with a man is going to conceive. And that, if you don't know, is a little more impressive. It really is. And in that miraculous birth, God says, I will deliver not just Israel, but the entire world from all their fears and fulfill my promise to Abraham. God says, behold, Merry stinking Christmas. It's amazing. Ahaz is thinking deliverance from this invading army, and God is promising ultimate deliverance from all of our enemies of sin and death. Joseph understands. God kept all of his promises then. And God's going to keep all of his promises now. And you may look around our world today, and you may wonder with all the craziness going on, how do we know God is still really involved? Behold, here's the sign. Christmas, a virgin had a baby. (laughs) And not just that. That virgin-born baby grew into a man. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for me, took my death, gave me his life, gave me his righteousness. He's placed in a grave. He rose from the grave. And that baby is given two names, Jesus and Emmanuel. Jesus indicates what he does. Emmanuel indicates who he is. In Hebrew, Jesus means God saves. Emmanuel means God with us. And those two names, Joseph gets a picture of the glory of God. Jesus comes, 100% man, 100% God, born of a human, Mary, so he's fully man. But she was also pre-pregnated by the Holy Spirit. So fully God, he was and is virgin born. He had to be human because he had to be to be our true representative on the cross. But he also had to be God because God is the only one capable to save this way. The message of the Old Testament was time after time. Salvation belongs to our Lord. Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. And Jesus shows up as God in the flesh to bring that salvation. And it is amazing. Jesus is born. The angel says, call me Emmanuel, God with us. This is the idea. You are not created to serve some distant God who watches over you like a judge. You were created to love a father 
and to walk with him and serve him as a king, but also as a friend. And that is what Christmas brings. And that's what all the sounds that surround it were meant to point to, God's rescue of us. Everything God is showing us through Joseph and Mary, the stars, the angels, the baby, and even Joseph's silence is to show what God will do. And like Mary and Joseph, Jesus, God in the flesh, will be misunderstood. He will be falsely accused. Mary and Joseph lived with the stigma of shame their entire life, but Jesus goes to the cross and dies in shame, bearing our shame for us, the curse for us on the cross. And self-denial, he spreads, opens his hands. They are nailed to this cross. He carried that cross himself. And Joseph is being invited from the very first moment to understand and to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And when he asked and the angel said that, Joseph said yes. And I wonder for us, do we actually say yes to that? Do we? I mean, we don't know much more about Joseph's life other than his trust and his silence. But he passes on to us this legacy that we can also follow Jesus. And the point of the message is not Joseph, okay? So don't, you know, get me wrong in this. The, the point is always Jesus. And what would have happened if Joseph not chosen this route? If Joseph went another way, not believed the angel, if he divorced Mary and cast her aside and married a different girl? Well, guess what? He might have gotten a storybook wedding. He might have had a nice little carpentry business on the side. But he would have missed out on Christmas because God still would have done what God was going to do anyway. The sounds of Christmas that surround Joseph's life tell us it is worth it. Behold, God says, I am worth it and I keep all of my promises. And that is the only reason we get to say to one another tonight, Merry Christmas. When you guys came in, we gave, we went to give adults and teenagers bells, but apparently we gave a lot of people bells. Uh, and when I was growing up, my, my mom used to play this song for us. It was called Dingaling the Christmas Bell. You probably never heard it, but the song is about this little bell that was made and it rang off key. And all the other bells were like, oh, you can't ring with us because you ring off key. You're terrible. You're horrible. But then at one point, he ends up dingling the Christmas bell, saving Christmas for this town. It's kind of a cute little story. But we guys, we gave you these bells tonight. They're, they're probably not the best bells. They may ring off key. I don't know. If you're a parent, you got a kid, you're going to hear it all night long. I'm really sorry. You know. <laughs> but when that bell rings and that sound goes out, I want you to think about this, the songs and the angels and the stars and the baby and the shepherds. But eventually, it will be a godsend when that thing goes silent, and you'll put it down. And when it fades to silence, remember Joseph and his trust in who God is and God's provision, that God keeps his promises. And just like God rang Mike Harmon's bell all those years ago, that God would come and also ring our bell. Tonight, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to, to take communion. Communion is where we remember what Christ did for us. This, all of these promises come to fruition. So I invite you to break the cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. So that we are people who get to come in and experience God's gracious life again. You don't have to take it. It's a response if you would like to. It is there. Guys, I would just love to say to you, Merry Christmas, because God is good. Let's pray. Father, tonight, we ask that you would take and have us remember and understand your graciousness given to us, all of your kept promises, all the ways that you have called us and brought us to yourself. Father, so often we think that we as a people can figure out our lives and get everything put together, and then it just seems to fall apart because the center of our lives are not ourselves. It's not Joseph. It's not Mary. It's you. And what you did and what you promised to come and rescue and save us is what you did. So tonight and tomorrow, and hopefully this entire year, have us remember what the beauty of the sounds of Christmas is all about. It is about worship and adoration of who you are and your goodness. Amen.